It's that time of week once again here on the Disruptive AF Podcast, your edge of innovation. I'm already laughing. This is this is where we're already at. You know, in case you've been watching, we got a lot of people who who, who watch, and uh, they they have made remarks about the uh, environment between you and I, Dan. And I think we need to just put something to bed before we get to the most interesting bio and person that I think we've had yet. All of our guests have been interesting, but uh, we just need to put this to rest, Dan. That sure. we're not professional hired voice actors <laughs> we're, we're know, not of all the things i thought i would ever have to refute in my life this is the most unexpected i yeah. am not a paid voice actor I, yeah and I, you I, we're you should... not i mean it's hard to believe it's hard to believe but you can start sending your hate mail to jordan public that, that we're not yeah. this is true you can go to twitter and find out the truth we haven't worked for any other agencies we're not paid professionals this is just raw real <laughs> raw disruptive af we're yeah we're real people we're not cartoon characters uh i definitely don't get paid for voice work but if anybody out there is interested uh, yes. i am looking for voice work yeah uh, <laughs> is this now, where we insert I the guess. commercial <laughs> Okay. Anyway, you're probably asking yourselves, what, what, what? I thought this was disruptive AF. Yes, it is. Okay. Officially, welcome to disruptive AF, the edge of innovation for for the Air Force. But seriously, we love to have fun. And our guest today uh, on on uh, on the podcast itself, really, uh, you're going to be shocked at the first line because as we were reading through this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the most interesting bio ever. Uh, welcome with us, Jess Reese, who is the Chief Ecosystem Officer for the 309th Extreme. Digital Development Group Enterprise Edge at Hill Air that's, Force Base. Hi, that's, team. <laughs> that's the best job title I think we've seen. Yeah. You know? the, only, the only thing we could add is like Supreme Allied Commander Chief Ecosystem Officer of. Right. And just add like a lot of hashtags in front. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. funny, funny story. And I'm actually really glad you guys like that, that title because I got to make it up. Um, yeah. They, they came in, I'm, I'm actually a program manager and I'm like, oh, that sounds really boring as we're going forward into innovation. And so when I started kind of looking into, well, what are some of the cool roles? And well, what the heck does an ecosystem even mean? Um, yeah. I, I find myself plugging and chugging into the dot connections into, oh, let's line you up with so-and-so or, oh, this person's been really profound. And so I yeah. actually had the really cool opportunity to, to make up my role. <laughs> yeah. I well, I mean, we haven't even. Go ahead. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Uh, the like ownership of the title already is it's. Um, I, I've been talking to a lot of organizations about their organizational culture lately. This has been a huge topic where people want you know talk about wanting to innovate. And the first the first issue I always come to is, well, do you understand who you are? Like before you figure out what's the big thing we're going to do, it's who are you. And I have found that choosing a title, for example, choosing my job title or choosing my organizational, our name or our vision or our mission, but doing it in not the old way, but doing it in a new way where it's collaborative and it's co-creative and it's fun and it's interesting and it's something you're excited about yeah. is a great way of like, we're already putting our best foot forward. And I yeah. think that this, this title by itself, it, it tells me already a lot about your interest in, you know, what you're actually doing and the value that you kind of give to that. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. 
there's uh, I think there's a lot of us who have created our own title because nobody knows what to call us, so we just take advantage. <laughs> we just take advantage of it. But we we yeah. haven't even even gotten to the best best part about this. I mean, that was that was just her title. Oh, Let's gosh. dive into the next <laughs> sentence. Of, uh, this is where she de uh, delivers war-winning radical innovation that resolves the most complex software engineering challenges. Holy moly! There's so this is the, like the first part of what she does, and then she goes on to say, which I think is probably the story. You know, a lot of times in the military uh, and then in the Department of Defense, we see people for who they're doing and what that job is, but we we forget we are our uh, mothers and daughters and brothers and sisters, and we've had other jobs. So here's the following: uh, She's been a farm farm hand, corrections assistant, a gym staff, exercise physiologist, configuration management specialist, and lately program manager. Where her passion is the positive disrupt disruptive innovation. Welcome to the show, Jess. Hi. Hi. For real. <laughs> yeah. For real. So All right. This let's is go for, to break. Yeah, let's go to break. Holy smokes! So, uh, as far as this chief ecosystem officer and the award, you know, war-winning radical innovation, what what is that? Like, let us into your world of okay. what is what is this? <laughs> um. Yeah, for sure. So, so a little bit of a backstory. That that's always kind of the the highlight, right? I come from the Air Force. Uh, AFSC, which is the Air Force Sustainment Center. Um, SWAG is the software engineering group that sits within that. And so we we develop literally just capabilities with on the embedded platforms such as uh, the F-16, the F-22, the F-35. My configuration management job was on the F-16. And we, we dealt heavily with embedded legacy software. And we, you know, it, it that was the funnest job ever learned. It took me, that was that was the type of job that takes you almost two years to fully wrap your head around because embedded yeah, yeah. software is very complex. Um, and, and the, the engineering community that works on that was, was just really cool. There, there's some really amazing people that work in that capacity and, uh, being part of swag is, is awesome. And so the, we got, I found edge, the edge team was stood up at Hill air force base, um, just recently last November. And they, they came to me because I said, I, I really loved innovation. And when they said, well, what is innovation to you? It, it was my retention plan, guys. I, I thought, well, how can we do really fun and exciting things within our software engineering group? And yeah. uh, for me, it was a recruiting incentive as well as a retention plan because I knew what legacy software looked like. We've been doing it for 35 years, right? Mm -hmm. so, so how do I get people excited again? What, what, are, what is new and exciting happening out there that um, I, I could learn more about? So curiosity got the best of me and, and that's really what drove, drove me into the role I'm currently in right now. I've met a few people recently who are in the innovation space. Specifically, they say, because if I wasn't working on something new, I wouldn't be in the Air Force anymore. It's like my, you know, the experience was such that they they felt like the most value they could bring is the introduction of better ways of doing things rather than just the maintenance of the old way, which you know, it, for a lot of yeah. people, it, it, it doesn't really light their fire. Right. Uh, so this idea of like, you know, bringing something new and the, the, the refreshing, uh, even if you're, I feel like even continuous, you know, even in the world of continuous improvement, uh, you, people find that kind of spark again, and it kind of help gives them momentum to, to make it to the end of their career. Um, but that's a common theme I've heard a few times recently. Yeah. yeah. 
I love that point, Daniel, with continuous improvement, because we we are a group that prides ourselves in constantly doing CPI events or continuous process events. But it's always the same people that are kind of the reasons we have the problems that are in the event. Right. And so, yeah. you know, we'll, I know we'll definitely get into a, a little bit on AFWorks and some of the things that I've, I that kind of really lit the fire under me, because the first time I saw a solution coming from an outside cyber and having a conversation with my operational airmen and, and, and had this whole light of, holy crap, this is really cool. These are some ideas that I don't think my group would have thought of on its own, right? And so yeah. we can do continuous improvement or we can also extend it out and, and see where we can pull in some other really cool ideas for, for solutions. And that's been pretty profound. Yeah, you know, one of the things about continuous improvement or continuous process improvement that it's not that it's it's not that it's bad because there's a whole section of the Air Force that focuses on CPI, but I think it's been a misunderstanding of when CPI is incredibly useful and sometimes when you need just that disruptive innovation aspect to it. And I think earlier on, I mean, if we're going to be because we have honest, real conversations here at Disruptive AF, I think early on it was almost a struggle between uh, both of those of saying, you know, innovation is CPI and CPI was like, no, you know, is this back and forth. But it wasn't a realization that it's it goes hand in hand that there is there is an important value to what CPI offers, uh, and really taking a deep dive into those logistical uh, complexities and how do we optimize the systems we're using for CPI, and then there's a, definitely a place of saying, hey guys, like we may just have to throw out this whole system and start over. And what does that what does that look like? And and for you know, I just got done shooting another podcast talking about the importance of failure and being able to recognize that sometimes. You just got to start over. Sometimes you have to re envision and re uh, envision and re uh, idealize what the potential is in the future for a process because you can't just, you know, I equate it to like this. Uh, if you start off with a mobile home and you build a mansion around it, <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it you may put some pretty brick up and you may put lay some great concrete, but let's call it what it is. Like that sucker is a mobile home with, with a mansion built around it. Like let's call it what it is. And sometimes when we look at our processes, we have to look at it and realize that the foundation of what it started was not meant to be a long-term solution. It was meant to be a stopgap. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, we need to scrap it and start over. And I think sometimes that really scares people. So what has your experience been? in that Jess, when you look at, you know, the, that, those intricacies of identifying starting over? Um, you know, it's, that is such a good question. Uh, Kinsley, it's, it's one of those things that in order to disrupt, in order to think there, there's gotta be a reason why you want to go that way in the first place. And we, we look at some of these things. So I'm, I'm come from legacy embedded software. Well, we have been in situations where we don't own the, the baseline. Right. And it's very expensive yeah. going forward in the direction that we've been working or the model that we've been working in for a very long time. So for me to disrupt that is, you know, you, you've got to get those those people that are constantly in that status quo mindset of it's going to kill the way we go forward or this is going to be so expensive. We can't keep up like mm -hmm. so what, what are yeah. some cool things that we can do now to start disrupting that that type of way of thinking? Um, and that, that to me is where, where I've really been able to, to pitch ideas or, or to have people come in and say, you know what, that is, let's, let's at least look at what else is out there, um, for, for possible solutions. And that, that's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. I actually like that reframing of risk that happens sometimes kind of what you're referring to is, is, um, people see their, the risk only in doing different things. 
but we fail to have the conversation about the risk of maintaining the status quo, which mm -hmm. is frequently the greater risk. Uh, and I, uh, just to tie it back to something I heard uh, Trigger saying a, a little bit ago about, um, you know, when we disrupt or when we start over, one thing that I, I don't see considered a lot of the time is whether uh, is the power of having everybody motivated and on board. And sometimes the way to bring everybody on board is to give them ownership. And, you know, for example, when you're talking, we, we just did a session this morning about organizational values where we had brought a team through redefining their organizational values. And just the process of co-creating that, even if it was very similar, the end product is very similar to what they, what the, you know, leaders of the organization would have passed down. That sense of ownership is a hugely valuable part of of the starting over of a disruptive, co-creative innovation process. Is it yeah. gives people the the motivation to own the system uh, moving forward into the future. Oh, absolutely, and it's it's been really interesting. We've got a team um, out at out at Ogden that's called Ski Camp that you guys might have heard of a little bit, and. Mm -hmm. They started out as a Pathfinder team called Sonicube. Well, these guys were sit, I think it was seven, seven engineers that were on the F-16 Block 30 team that just weren't okay with status quo of how we were developing software for the F-16. And so they went out to space camp and started learning this whole new world of DevSecOps, right? And Kubernetes and containerization and really started pushing the model there. And it was really interesting when they, when they came back um, because here they went out as a pathfinder, they learned all these good things and they bring all of this knowledge back. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if you guys have found this, but in innovation, sometimes the disruptions too much, the, the whole group was like, oh, oh gosh. I mean, the, the ideas, the profoundness, the, the really cool, exciting yeah. things that these guys were so excited about to now start pushing forward on, there was a lot of pushback. Um, yeah. and, you know, and, and I don't think it's necessarily that, no, we can't do it. It's just, how? how how are we going yeah. to do this and it's it's been so fun to be a part because I, I sit with their team with with the ski camp team and platform and if we truly disrupted it we would turn avionics completely upside down and start doing some stuff very differently and as, yeah. a, as a pilot i think it would inter interest you profoundly kinsey <laughs> yeah yeah oh i have i have no i have no doubt no <laughs> doubt about that at all and that's one of the that that's one of the really interesting things about innovation i actually told somebody uh, this today is I, I got to the I got to the office and <laughs> opened up my email uh, and got my cup of coffee and I just had to sit there for about five minutes and be like, innovation is exhausting. Like this is exhausting. <laughs> this is absolutely exhausting. And I saw saw one of my bros in the hall and I was like, hey man, how you doing? He was like, I don't know if I can keep running this marathon. This is absolutely exhausting because it is. It's like you know the idea of turning a system upside down and not just for the sake of disrupting it, but for the sake of good. For the sake of change, you know, it's. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm not in the Air Force because I have a future in the Air Force. I'm in it because there's some serious things we need to change, uh, and I can't let it go until we start working. And and I think people with that mentality are probably the most usefully dangerous to the to a current system is because we're not doing it because we care about a bullet. We're not. We don't do it because we care about our future. We do it because we legitimately care about the livelihood of what we're doing. And we legitimately care about the future of what it is. And we're not going to let it go. I mean, it's like a dog clamping down. You're not getting rid of that dog until you give it something else to focus on. And that's, and that's, you know, that's why I think innovation uh, in this defense ecosystem has gone so far so fast is because there is a glimpse of hope and light where people have seen the need for change. 
and they don't care about what the future looks like in the sense of them personally. They care about the future of the system and how do we get it right and what do we have to do to get it right? Right. Uh, but man, that is a, it's an exhausting process. Like, let's not kid ourselves. If you want to be an innovator, like prepare to be exhausted at times and then have to rally yourself. <laughs> I think that speaks to the importance of uh, leaders within the innovation space, understanding some of those human factors of burnout specifically yeah. is a really extremely important thing. Um, and, and honestly, that I think a lot of the younger innovation organizations are still, they're falling into traps that startups fall into, which is you push your people too hard, you end up creating a, an, a kind of toxic environment that's almost too much about I'm going to empower you and I'm going to push you. Right. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. people yeah, can't handle the kind of pace that, that, uh, that those super motivated, super caffeinated leaders tend to tend to push on their people for, you know, for too long a period of time. Um, and that's yeah. the importance of kind of learning about, uh, some of these, some of these, uh, human factors, like how to give people space and time, how to take care of your, how to take care of yourself and set aside time for yourself personally. Um, yeah. those are, that's when those competencies become even more important than ever. You know, yeah. uh, I've had some air force jobs. I won't lie that were pretty restful before I got into the innovation space. I was mm -hmm. like, I get home. I'm like, well, now I've rested all day. I can, I have all this energy to go do something yeah. now that I'm in the innovation world. It's flipped, right? I need to use that home time as a as a recharge. Um, yeah, and and I rely on leaders to understand how to how to not only hand me that space, but often to force me to take that time because when I'm super motivated on something, I will push myself until I'm like burned out, and that's not good for me. It's not good for the team. Yeah. And the results, before we go to break, I want to ask this question because Dan, you really got my, my neurons firing on this one. When you said, you know, those super cavernated, highly motivated people, they're like, yeah, we can do this. And they just, you know, piss you off because they always have so much energy. Yeah. Not that I know anybody like that, yeah. but, um, when, <laughs> are you talking about? I don't know. I have no idea. We're not hired professionals. People We're humans. Anyway, so the, uh, you have those people, but one of the, one of the really critical components of the people that I find uh, important to the innovation space is people who are as excited about failure as they are success. Yes. That when failure happens, like I just had a call this morning where something was missed uh, on a contract and we're going to have to backtrack about three weeks. And the team was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I was like, no, this is great. Like now we know moving forward. And I'm like, how can you be positive about this? Like we may not meet the end of your fiscal year fund. I was like, well, I mean, we're humans. This is what it is. Uh, and we learn from it and now we know what this means and we're going to move forward and we'll do the best we can, but that's great. Um, Jess, I'll throw it to you, that question and Dan, or, or frankly, Jordan, if you want to hop on, I know you're silent back there, but eventually we'll get on this. What, what does that look like to find that ability where you are truly as excited about failure as you are a success? Because in an innovator, this isn't new to any of us. Uh, the majority of our time is spent in failure <laughs> and identifying what we need to do and how do we pivot and how do we change and how do we move forward. Um, but the only things publicized at times are the successes. Right. Um, fantastic question. And one that I've, I've definitely been dancing with for the last probably six months. Um, I took on a project that started right at COVID with brand new engineers and on a brand new platform and all not using waterfall methodology that I was currently used to. And it was terrifying. <laughs> and, 
And, you know, and I, I literally just had to you kind of pull your, your head up each day by your ponytail thinking like, girl, get after it. Um, yeah. and, and understanding that nobody had all the answers to how that was going to look, uh, what needed to happen. And, you know, and, and just, it, I learned so much within this last six months of doing all of this about one myself and, and, and what I needed to fix going forward. And even just to, to replicate or, or to bring on teams now, it, it would have never happened if I was just so stagnant based of fear. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I feel like that's such a value that my, my team and even the, the teams that in our innovation cell really are cool about is courage, is the courage to overstep that, that and, and feel empowered to fail. Um, because yeah. that is not always the, the way forward. Right. And I learn from my failures. I learn from my mistakes way more than I do, um, from all the things that go right. Um, yeah. usually that's just a, that's, that's a bonus. <laughs> if something yeah. goes right on a day, it's like, oh, hell yeah, we, we had a bonus. But <laughs> if, if it all fails and falls apart, it's like, okay, it's a Tuesday. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I've, I've learned a lot to, to accept that. And, and that's been a, it's been a tough thing to learn. So, so yeah. good, good question. That's huge. Hey, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break right here in the Disruptive AF podcast. When we come back, I want to dive into Dan and you can lead us into it. The human aspect of, you know, yes, we, we're innovators. Yes, we're in the Department of Defense. But, you know, innovation has a huge benefit to our lives just in general, because guess what? We're not all going to be in the military or DOD for our entire life. And the benefits of what that is, because the second part of your bio really, really led me to think, man, she's been a farm girl. She's been a, a program manager. She's been all these things. Like innovation is, is life. It's not just DOD. So when we come back on Disruptive AF, we're going to dive into the human side of innovation right here on your edge of innovation, Disruptive AF podcast. Are you listening to this podcast and wondering what you should do to get started? Join AFWORK's weekly office hours call to hear about different resources and programs available to you and the rest of the defense innovation community. Tune in at the link in the show notes every Monday at 1 p.m. Central to hear more. Hey, welcome back to Disruptive AF. Uh, your favorite podcast about Air Force and defense innovation, where we bring some of the most amazing innovators and in innovation enablers uh, to talk about how we're bringing the ecosystem forward. Uh, today, we have Jessica Reese, the Chief Ecosystem Officer for the 309th Extreme Digital Development Group Enterprise at, sorry, that's such a, that's such a long and extreme title and I love it uh, at Hill Air Force Base. Um, and, and one thing that we wanted to get to after the break is, uh, Jess, you've had a impressively varied background, um, which speaks a little bit to kind of rediscovery or reinvention. So uh, I, we kind of wanted to get your take on the personal aspects of, of innovation and how that kind of ties into your approach to, to what it is you do at uh, Hill. Okay, thanks, Daniel. Um, yes, I've, I've definitely had a diverse background. Um, you know, started out, that's funny, you guys bring all the, the names into it. Uh, I was a farmhand during high school. Uh, I did corrections um, and they had great hours for college work. Uh, so I, I definitely dabbled into corrections there for a little bit. And then 
Um, one of my most favorite jobs was an exercise physiologist at the Air Force, uh, working with airmen and helping them with their PT test. And it was right when the, the AFI changed and it actually started really affecting their careers. And so seeing that kind of push and pressure um, in regards to their health and wellness on top of their, their career achievements was, was a big deal. Um, and we used a lot of innovation within men. Uh, we, used, uh, we had a, a bod pod that could measure your percent body fat and put together entire exercise programs and diet programs based on their results. And so wow. we, we took a very innovation centric or technology centric approach to how we were even handling um, some of those profiles. And then how the heck did I get into where I'm at right now with, with software? I, I'm sure that's what, it's, what, what you're thinking about. I had a, one of my personal trainers uh, that worked in, at the fitness center at the time was working within the software engineering group and, and told me about uh, some of the, the change management jobs that they had over there, configuration management specialist jobs. So I was very interested, just wanted to, to go and check it out and was open to learning new things. And that, that's how I got involved into this airport software. So that opens your eyes to a lot of technology. Uh, when you go over to airport software and you start learning, I was that person, you guys have cute sticky notes for design sprints on your board. I had sticky notes on what that monitor does, what that box does. <laughs> I, I was, the technical aptitude was not, that, not as high as I needed it to be in that job, but it was a very sink or swim and go learn. And yeah, yeah. I, I learned more uh, as a configuration management specialist than I than I ever have. Um, and, and just what Air Force software does, especially for the fighters, um, because that was the part of the team that I was in. So I, I've definitely seen my, my approach in uh, uh, innovation, if you will, just take on a whole new light um, by being by being a part of the teams that I am today. Yeah. You know, like I, this, this flexibility or this ability to kind of reinvent yourself in different occupations, it's extremely relevant to the issue of, uh, of innovation. Um, one of, one of my favorite books that I read recently on the subject, um, I think it's called the Medici effect. Um, uh, and it's, um, by France Johansson, uh, talks about how innovation primarily occurs at the intersection between disciplines. It's it's not just like people who dig down into, into a single subject and they dig down deep and they learn everything there is to know about a single subject. They're primarily useful for the incremental advancement of that subject. But when you put those people into the context of a different subject, they can bring these 10x or disruptive innovation, you know, these kind of opportunities. Um, and it's where the merging of these two disciplines happens. So there's something inherent, I think, within the Air Force experience and within the military experience that is unique that I think we can kind of leverage, which is we have the ability to move people to places where they're more, you know, where they're passionate or they're, or they just have an interest. And there, when you bring somebody from, and it, we're seeing it in Air Force software teams now where it's like, you pull you out of whatever your career field is and now you're producing software. It produces somebody who brings a completely unique viewpoint to the problems that they're, that they're solving. Um, and I think that it, it has a lot of, it has a ton of potential um, and I think that some of the greatest innovation enablers in my career were the ones who just kind of were like, oh, you're interested in that? Let's move you over there so that you can kind of get after it. Heck yeah. 
And digital, uh, if you're talking about even the digital coders and some of those operational hats they come on with and then learn the technology to now support the mission that they are coming from has been profound. Um, I've, I've, I've loved learning um, more of the operational side of the house in, in software and where I need that technology to go and, and stepping back and seeing the whole strategic picture of it all. Um, I'm, we've got a, a project with, uh, it's called Archer, that I'm working with an Intel uh, community on for scenario-based uh, exercises. And I didn't know anything about what went into a scenario build and what they do and all the information that they were using to make this thing happen and to get this, this cool operational Intel kid to sit down with my developers and really hash out the details of what this application needed to do has just been so cool and, and really exciting. Um, so I, I agree with you 100%, Daniel. It's, it's really cool what's, what's going on and, and how they're moving forward with it. What, what has been, when you mentioned that, of, of sitting down with these experts that are a little bit outside of the norm of what you would see and what you would experience, you know, th this is an interesting vein, I think, to, to be able to tap into because if you think about our career fields, you know, you get you get focused and you get specialized in what you do. As a pilot, you know what you do. You're going to fly your missions. That's what you're paid for. That's you're, you're going to go all around the world. And it wasn't until I got into the innovation space that I saw the importance of understanding what computer programmers did, about what coders did, about the you know the infrastructure development, of about what the triple C did, of, of these systems that we use all the time and sometimes admittedly complain about. You know when we have nothing else to complain about that that these systems. But until you actually understand what they do and the interaction and the, and the interlacing of the importance of what they do, so that you can start bringing solutions into your mission set. Um, you know, we're not initially, we're not necessarily trained for that. We're not trained for this cross pollination mindset that's required to truly understand, you know, why is it important for me to understand these things? Well, I need to know and understand because how else are we going to make our, my mission set better? How else am I going to understand what they're talking about if I don't have some semblance of understanding? So if you can real quick, what are some of those pain points that maybe you've gone through or that you've seen in this cross-pollination of ideas and understanding and trying to get, you know, mission set to talk to mission set. Um, okay. Uh, I just barely this year had a really wonderful uh, experience with CyberWorks doing design sprints and human-centered design. Uh, you guys, I come from F-16 that, that's been around for so long. Could you imagine what the cockpit would have looked like had a UX person came in and actually helped with the design of that cockpit? Um, and so I love <laughs> learning more about it. And, and I feel like, you know, by, by putting human-centered design as a focus and bringing in the relevant stakeholders that make the decisions, use the tool, and, and have a say in, in what this thing needs to do instead of having so many levels of, of nobody's talking to anybody. It's the game of telephone. We get a, something that maybe might work um, yeah. by the end of it, and it's super expensive. We just haven't been doing it very well. Um, and so how do we do that better? I feel like that, that, that's been something that we've been really just kind of trying to angle towards. Um, and I think that cross-pollination, if you will, or that for, for us, it's how do I get a team of cross-functional team members talking together? Because I, I can't always point fingers and you're the person that's wrong if I don't understand your world, right? Yeah, um, and yeah. I feel like we do that sometimes or we see that sometimes with procurement and acquisitions. It's like, oh man, you're, you're the short straw winner today. But instead say, okay, well, what is it that you need from me to get your job done and get everybody on the same page to get that job done better? It, it's just a good way of doing business. You know, that's a really good point because when you talk about 
um, just an experience I recently had when you put in a purchase request and if you have somebody else that's doing the purchase, you may put in a part order and you may understand, uh, you know, this is exactly what we need. How could somebody screw this up? Well, the person who's doing the actual purchasing that has no idea, all they have is what the part order is. And it's, you know, if it's a computer piece or a computer part, I know I'm really dumbing this down for us simple pilot folk, but you know, if they see it, if they see a, a, a a code on there and it says this is the part number i have no idea what that is so the purchasers are going to go try to get as close as they can because they don't understand what that in process is and one of the most powerful things we ever did just in our little circumstance was to bring everybody together for a meeting and say listen here's the thing we're building i'm the user here's what it's going to be used for contracting do you understand what, what do you need from me to make this purchasing what do you need from me uh, resource advisor, what do you need from me? Does everybody understand what we're trying to do and how this goes kind of together? Oh my gosh, I wish we would have done that two months earlier because then that, that whether it was the purchaser, whether it was contracting, whether it was RA, whether it was legal, everybody now understood what success looked like and they were able to say, hey, 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 we have a problem. They're out of this part. Um, you need to tell us, you need to define what the new piece is. But how true is that? Like, and you mentioned the UX, yeah. for those of you who don't know, UX, uh, UI and US, UX is the user interface and the user experience. So when, when Jess was mentioning the user experience, really they're talking about what is it like for a pilot to sit inside the cockpit uh, uh, and have to deal with the design of what the cockpit is? You know, what, what does the user need? Which is, which is wild. Dan, you had something. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, what you're speaking to uh, is kind of from the, it applies both at the design level where you're like, we're, we're designing a product um, and we need to incorporate methods that ensure that everything we're building is validated against the experiences of potential users, which it, in the, in the design level, you know, it's like a passion of mine is, is what, what does that function look like? You bring people into a, into a workshop or you do a full multi-month design thinking process where you spend a whole lot of time uncovering insights from users. But then what you're talking about there, uh, Trigger, is the um, is how do you incorporate those discovery principles into the way that we do work all the time? Because everything that we do, it, it there's an underlying reason why. And this is the whole start with why thing. Is Simon Sinek talking about the golden circle and all that. It yeah. really is oh, yeah. with everything that you do, the people who are acting you know, they should have the ability to act with autonomy. But in order to do that, you know, because they're going to run into unforeseen complications or the complexity of the human experience, whatever it is, you know, the part isn't there. When I get there, if I don't know why I'm getting the part or the, the value that the, the part was supposed to bring, then I'm kind of useless. So when we treat people like they're just executing a function, like the why is not relevant to them, then we end up with all these breakdowns in all of our processes, in the way that we design things, in the way that we execute the mission, in the way in in everything that we do. Um, and that's something that that I've been. This is like the focus of of everything that I'm doing right now with Agitari is is what do you need to incorporate into your organization right now that gets the why into every single thing that you do and and a key component of that for me is facilitation like do you do regular retrospectives for example where you talk about do we all understand why we're here 
And what are what's going wrong with producing that value? Are you regularly just reflecting back? Um, so it it's end to end. It's how we build the thing that we're building, and then in the sustainment of it, how are we checking to see if it's continuing to produce the value that it was initially intended to, whether that's very recently or decades ago? Because if we just incorporated that into how we sustain things as well, mm -hmm. it would also inform when it was time to disrupt the the status quo. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's there's something that that I think is probably the hardest thing that you mentioned at the very very end. Um, which Jess, I'll toss it over to you as you kind of talk about uh, what projects you have coming up and the things you're excited about. Is when do you know? And this may be some of the projects you're talking about. When is it that you know it's time to disrupt versus repair? Uh, not a loaded question at all. I'm glad you. I gave you so much time to think about it, uh, and I'm just going to stall for ten more seconds for you to think about the answer. But how do you know when it's time to disrupt? Like, when is the when is it time to flip the table? When is the time to say, okay, nope, time to start over? And are there any projects you're working on right now that kind of allude to you know we're close? Um, that that is a again, man, with all the good questions you got coming at me today. Um. <laughs> I think that for, for me, and this is a very Jessica Reese personal opinion, um, nobody else's, but for me, the time to disrupt is when, am I getting a product to the warfighter fast enough that it's staying relevant? Um, because the way oh, I'm good. currently doing something, if they aren't getting that in a time that makes sense to me, then by hell, we better start disrupting soon, right? Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that's been my biggest push going forward is I can go with status quo, but tomorrow's war might be a very technology-based one. And am I quick enough to pivot and go forward and get that person what they need to be successful and to win the war? Um, so sorry, that's that's kind of just, I, I know that we're doing things, we're producing things, we've got good technology, but yeah. when, from coming from a sustainment center, if I can't disrupt fast enough to stay relevant, then it's time to start looking at where I need to start disrupting. Yeah. So, so I like the, that. The most powerful like a, thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I like that because it's, I, I mean, I haven't heard that type of response because I think very often, because I think most people aren't thinking in that strategically, like in the, in the context of how we are, what we're here to do, like how we are war fighting, what, like, what is the value you're here to bring? Well, it's here to make sure that wh whoever has that technology downrange, we, you know, when like, when the rubber hits the road, uh, are they enabled to do what they're supposed to do? And one of the problems I think with most of our, uh, m most of the things that we do most of the time is we're very focused just on here and now. My definition of success has nothing to do with strategy or yeah. even the operational level. It's just, well, that guy told me to, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Some of the most powerful things we can do in innovation is is identify when either we need to stop and as we talk about in a flying turn, freeze the stick and regain our bearings and ask ourselves, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 why are we doing what we're doing? Does this make any sense? Uh, and I think we've all had experiences where you ask why we're doing what we're doing. And it's that moment from office space where it's like, well, I'm good with people. I'm, you know, I'm a people person. I'm good. You know, we 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 ask ourselves about this system. Well, we we have this system because the system needed a system. But some of the most powerful things we can do is is just stop and be like, do we need to just stop doing this? 
And I know that, you know, at times it's very hard to do that. It is incredibly hard to do, especially when you have programs that have been allocated money for, you know, we were talking about last week with Jason Rasty about adventures and investment and palming money and programmatically planning for money. And it's a very hard thing to do when the snowball is large and it's rolling down a very steep hill and it has been for a long time. It's hard to jump in front of the snowball and say, Hey, you need, we need to stop doing this. Cause exactly as you said, Jess, if it's not relevant tomorrow or two years from now, or when this thing is getting, getting in the hands of the, of the 18 year old or the 23 year old or that, you know, the 27 year old that's away deployed doing, doing, uh, the work that we've trained them to do. If it's not going to be relevant when it gets into their hands, like we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing? And are we doing it effectively? Which is huge. Uh, oh my gosh, guys, it's been so much fun. We blasted through, we blasted through an entire episode again. Wow. Hey, Jess, tell us, uh, tell us how our listeners can uh, get in contact with you. If they have questions, I know we had a LinkedIn, uh, uh connection, portal for you, but what's a good way for people to be able to follow along with your work and the good, the good work that edge is doing out there? Um, definitely, definitely on LinkedIn, uh, edge does have a, a site on LinkedIn as well, that I'll, I'll make sure we can put out there for, for this team as well. Um, yeah, we're, we're working on a website. It's one of those things you got to kind of pick those priorities. And my, my priority is just to keep going up with projects, but a website would be really nice to have, um, for people to, to get in touch with us as well. Following along the things where we're doing a lot of stuff with the platform one team, keep going to their, their summits and the see the project spaces there. Uh, we follow a lot with, um, yeah, just basically, sir, just LinkedIn right now is probably the best way, uh, but Great. you can email me directly or you can definitely just, just follow either or me or edge and, and we'll, we'll hook you up with what you need to know. Yeah. Jordan, uh, she'll make sure to get the, uh, the info in the, in the comment section below. Um, so just drop down into the bio area. If you're listening, it'll be in the amplifying info that we have. So before we get out of here real quick around the horn, as we do, um, the one takeaway, Jess, if you had one takeaway, uh, Dan, same thing for you that you want people to know in the defense innovation environment uh, as innovators, as visionaries, as entrepreneurs in the defense, uh, defense innovation space, what would that be? Another easy question for you. <laughs> just one thing. Um, that would be don't give up. I think you hit it on the head in the very beginning is that innovation is hard. And the best way to be successful at it is perseverance, curiosity, and, and like-minded people. If you can work within the construct of, of what you're gaining here, you're learning about another person doing another thing that seems really fun and, and disruptive, hold on to these people and, and build this tribe because that is how we're going to be successful. And that is how we're going to keep pushing that, that big ass boulder up the hill. So that, that, that's, that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, I love that insight, that idea of finding a tribe or finding a community of people who are passionate about this, this, you know, this innovation thing. It, it one of the problems uh, that we face it is that people who aren't already passionate about, you know, fostering and facilitating and enabling innovation, they see it almost as like a cult. I think it's like these these innovation nerds are out here throwing buzzwords around, and they're they're like, and I'm like, I'm the worst at this because I'm just constantly like, my wife gives me crap about it all the time. She's like, you need to stop talking like some kind of, you know, like you're at a conference or something. And I'm like, this is just how I talk now. <laughs> that's 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 so true. I mean, that's. This me. <laughs> This is two things we can confirm. We are not voice actors. We're not paid yes. professionals and we are not a cult. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I get, I do not get paid oh enough to be a voice actor or a cult leader for that matter. 
but I'm open to both of those as possibilities if somebody oh wants to gosh. hire me. Uh, that's, that's but yeah, it's really important to find people who are also passionate about this stuff, though, because you might not, they might not be in your immediate vicinity, which is why I've been passionate for the last like four years or something about building these on online communities and yeah, something that we've yeah. done in Mattermost on LinkedIn that we've got going with with AFWorks and the Spark program. These are all opportunities for those kind of isolated yeah uh, people who just want to bring that value uh that that they should definitely reach out find your find your people and yeah i love that message yeah well guys we may not be a cult and we may not be prof paid professionals but by golly we're passionate about what we do here at the disruptive af podcast jess it's been so awesome having you with us this is one of many times i'm sure we'll have you back in the future well thank you guys it's been really fun to, to have our chat tonight yeah, for sure. Uh, if you would you, if you would like to join our ecosystem, if you will, make sure you get connected immediately as soon as possible to AffWorks. Um, they're going to have the link there for you. Whether you're listening to us on uh, on podcasts on Spotify, if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you so much, Dan. It's been a blast as always. Always, always a good time, and it's been so wonderful to talk to you, Jess. Just likewise, Dan. You guys are great. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with. <laughs> thanks so much for being with us here on the Disruptive AF Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow along, and we'll catch you next week as you join us at the edge of innovation right here on Disruptive AF.